This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast. We got a treat for you today. Brian Robinson is here. I'm Audrey Strong. I am the Vice President of Communications at Sales Fuel. We're going to talk today about sales, selling formula, and persuasive language. Lee? And I'm C. Lee Smith. I'm the President and CEO of Sales Fuel. And you're, you're so right on that, Audrey, because managers are in, internal salespeople, even if they don't go out, if, they, if they're not in charge of sales. Uh, you know, all managers then you know, have to be good internal salespeople. And so, uh, especially if you're going to make change and, and, and prepare the battlefield for change and, and handle change management, uh, it's so important then that you're, be able, that you're able to use certain questions, certain, certain turns of phrase, if you will, then to help you uh, m- make that happen. And that's why uh, we, we're going to talk to our guest today. Yep, it's Brian Robinson. He's a sales and marketing expert, a best-selling author of The Selling Formula, and a coach in his work for some of the best-known companies in the world, including Coca-Cola USA and Johnson & Johnson. And upon leaving his corporate career, he helped launch a successful startup where he was the first person in the history of the industry to sell more than $1 million in just 12 months. And get this, he did it on the phone. Oh, it's amazing. Brian, welcome to our microphones, and our listeners are going to get some lessons from you today. Thanks for coming. Uh, it's great to be here. Thank you hey, so Brian, much. Let me, let me jump in here for a second. Brian, what motivated you to be able to make that much sales in that short period of time? Eight children. <laughs> well, that'll do it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I um, was at a place where my wife uh, was home with six kids and we just started this particular company and was on the road. She was pregnant with twins and she was drowning and I had to figure out a way to get off the road and make this work by phone. So necessity is definitely the mother of invention. So I had to figure out a way to do that through several means and it actually worked. But I'll tell you, it was a challenging transition for sure. I bet. Your um, selling formula has five steps to it. Um, give me the five steps and then let's talk about the internal and external applications of those for our manager audience. Sure. The first step is to connect with your prospect and then set the agenda for the conversation. Then you interview your prospect with carefully crafted questions. Then you present your solution based on that interview. Then you present your pricing and guarantees, and then you close the deal. And you say changing one or all steps of that process can make a huge difference in performance of teams or um, a solo manager. And Absolutely. That way, do you have some uh, case studies or anecdotes you can? Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, a terrific, case, a terrific example is from my personal experience. I was really struggling to close deals, and when I got to a place where it was time to close a deal, you know, you get the old. I want to think it over. Uh, let's get back to me next week, and we'll talk about it. Which are basically ways of saying, "Don't call me again." Hmm. And I asked this question, would you be opposed, if I could offer you some incentive to move forward now as opposed to later, would you be opposed to talking about that? So I wasn't offering the incentive, 
I was asking if they'd be open to just talking about an incentive. And I had a handful of people that would say, Brian, I don't really want to talk to you about any incentive. It won't change anything. <laughs> okay, that's fine. But the power of curiosity would invariably get people to say, okay, yeah, I'm open. Let's talk about that incentive. And then the follow-up would be, if I could give you free setup and install, if I could provide you with two months of free service, could we earn your business now as opposed to later? And so just having that openness to a conversation and that um, approach doubled my sales, my closing ratio. How do we apply that then to a non-sales situation? So I'm a manager and I'm, I'm, I'm working with an employee. Let's say that I'm having a particular struggle getting the employee to stay on track and to do the job that they promised to do in a timely manner. I'm trying to hold them accountable. Um, you know, or and I need them to make changes in either in their behavior or, or, or how they how they approach their work. Uh, how do I how can I use this formula then to sell them you know, on that? Well, that's a good question. My my initial thought would be to obviously ex get a sense of clear uh, idea of where they are now and have that conversation and compare it to where you would expect them to be and ask them if you could provide some way for them to move to that next level. If you could offer them some proven tactics and techniques to get them to a higher level of production or improved relationship management, et cetera, would they be open to discussing that? And I think it's a kind of a come alongside approach as opposed mm -hmm. to a top down approach. Mm -hmm. And so do you find that um, we, we always say that, you know, explaining the new thing in the workplace, well, probably not so new, but the new in the workplace is uh, telling particularly millennials the why, why are we doing this? Why? And so your selling formula could actually apply to helping get buy-in from teams or sales teams uh, in explaining the why and getting the buy-in, correct? I mean, yes. I think it, it, it works in so many different ways. Yes. The application is very broad. It's just a matter of thinking through what would be most appropriate in terms of how to language that application, right? So speaking of language, it's like you, want to, you, want, you have uh, in your book, you have these 10 power phrases in the back and you have my favorite, which is the De Detective Columbo. And I'm dating myself now. So anybody that, <laughs> you know, that had to watch the Sunday night movie on NBC, on, you know, obviously on Sunday nights, and it, you know, occasionally it would, be, it would be Columbo. And Columbo was this detective where, who wore this, this wrinkly trench coat and, you know, and no one really took him that seriously because he's kind of low energy and not, you know, he's totally the antithesis of a lot of the detectives you see on, on crime shows on TV today. But one of his favorite things he'd always do, he'd look down the ground, he would scratch his head and he'd say, help me to understand how this body ended up over here when, it's, when you say it should, should, should have been over here. But he'd always say, help me to understand. And that's, that's one of your, your power phrases. Uh, how do you use that in a situation? And also tell me about some of your others. Sure. I think one of my favorite I've already used a few times in our conversation, it's mm -hmm. would you be opposed? And the reason I love that particular power phrase is most people's natural tendency is to say no. So when you ask somebody, would you be opposed to, and just fill in the blank, they actually have to say no to say yes. So, for example, yeah. right, would you be opposed to us reconnecting next week for 10 minutes on Tuesday the 5th? No, which means I'm, yes. <laughs> so, I, I'm just curious how you would handle it if somebody actually said yes. Well, you then you would, there? <laughs> yes, I do. 
you got me. Uh, I would I would say, okay, well, can you help me understand what the concern is mm -hmm. about meeting next week? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're using the Colombo approach there. Help me understand, uh, or I'm just curious. Uh, those are just really disarming phrases that, again, come alongside your prospect or the person you're talking to and help them recognize that you're there to help and you're not there to shove something down their throat. Right. What are the other seven? Let's tick them off. Well, let's see here. If I could, would you? We already talked about that. Uh, with your permission, I think is a very powerful one. Another one is, may I ask you a question? That one that, I have a little concern about. Okay. And that's because it's closed-ended. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like, because it's sort of like, okay, what's your question? Because it's it almost like it puts somebody on the defensive as soon as you hear something like that. <laughs> it can. And obviously, context is everything for mm -hmm. these types of phrases. There's another one. Is there any reason why we couldn't or we wouldn't uh, or you couldn't? And so that is a fill in the blank. That's a good one. Two part, two part uh, phrase. Another one is like you mentioned, help me understand. Uh, another one is, wouldn't you agree? And that would be typically tagged on to the end of a, of a statement um, that you've already gotten essential agreement for because of your sales interview process or the uh, conversation you've already had. Mm -hmm. I love that you're such a language wonk that you're, you know, so into the the nuances of all this. You say the number one problem or mistake that managers make is that they don't, they do, well, sales malpractice, mm -hmm. uh, but they don't craft what you said, purposely craft great questions to right. elicit a response. What is the, what is the definition of a great question as opposed to usual discovery that every Tom, Dick and Harry is doing? I think, I think it's more um, looking at, looking much deeper than the first or second level, there are even deeper levels at which you can go to with respect to your questions and diving uh, multiple layers deep that will allow you to elicit emotions and feelings that really tap into the motivational level of getting somebody to act upon something. And that doesn't happen with the closed-ended question. No, not usually. Mm -hmm. It's really, you wanna be more information gathering and open-ended as much as possible when you craft those types of questions. Now, from a sales perspective, the way you do that is very simple. You pick a feature, pick your associated benefits to that feature, and then based on those benefits, you craft your questions that would elicit those benefits in the conversation. So if you think of it as a funnel, it kind of spreads out as you go to the right, first column features, second column benefits listed, then the questions. There's always multiple questions for a single benefit. And then you just do an 80-20 approach. What are the 20% of the questions that will elicit the highest level benefits that you know typically bring a sale to conclusion? And that's, that's the way you'd want to focus on the question list, starting with information gathering questions to begin with. Mm -hmm. What's an example of a question that would elicit an emotion in a prospect? Well, I was speaking with a friend of mine who used this process. He sells video services. And he's, he was speaking with some gentlemen who were in the real estate industry and their challenge was generating leads. Um, and he wound up having a discussion about what was going on in their personal life and how many hours they're actually working to try to generate leads. And he said, before I even finished the conversation, they were almost begging me 
to help them because the pain was so great by asking them these personal questions about time involvement, how this was affecting their family mm -hmm. and their, their relationship interactions. That's the kind of depth that I think can elicit um, a real change in somebody's heart. Yeah, and I think a lot of salespeople are really afraid to go there. I mean, I, I see a lot of salespeople do a lot of sales pitches. I, you know, evaluate them, that sort of thing. And it's like, it seems very, it's all business, all business all the time. And it's like, and, and particularly, uh, and I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, be gender specific here, but I'm, I'm going to have to be. It seems like the, the, the men who are salespeople or even managers are a little bit more afraid to go there than the females are. And, and they're better at making that connection and asking, you know, tapping into, the emotional side of the equation. And, and as we say in sales, people buy on emotion and they justify based on logic or facts, stats, whatever the case may be. And yet we're afraid to go there. So as a manager, it's like, you know, how can we become less afraid to go there? And then also how can we get, you know, uh, the people that report to us to be, you know, less afraid to actually, uh, you know, do an emo you know, emotional check-in and actually kind of see how I, how I prospect, how an employee how a customer is feeling that particular day or, and, and, or how they feel in response to things that we've said or done. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a matter of testing the water. Don't be afraid to try, create some questions that you would want someone to ask you if you were trying to communicate kind of the deeper emotional um, challenges you're facing in a given, in a given situation. And you don't know unless you try. So I would do some trial balloons and see what happens. And don't do it once, <laughs> do it multiple times and get a sense of whether this really does work or not, because you can't do a trial on one or two questions. So, I'll oh, go ahead. Oh, so, so wouldn't it make, doesn't it make sense or wouldn't it make sense then uh, if everyone showed up late for the meeting, then no one would ever show up on time for the meeting. So is there any reason why you can't show up five minutes earlier for, for our regular staff meetings? Is that an example of how you would do something like that? Um, if I was one-on-one -on -one with somebody, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Not in a group. Right. And then say, you know, what, is there something going on besides work that's contributing to the challenge in getting here on time? Mm-hmm help me understand what that might be. And again, you've got to have obviously some equity in that relationship, I think, in order to ask some of those types of questions. So I think that's a, a component as well. There has to be trust. I mean, because they have to know that you, you have their best interest at heart, that you're not asking these types of questions and to in any way hurt, harm them. Yeah. Otherwise you become more like a policeman instead mm -hmm. of a, instead of a uh, counselor as it were, or a, somebody who cares. Not that policemen don't care. <laughs> so I would love to hear with the eight kids and at one point you write in the book that you were commission based only and that it was tremendously um, stressful as I can imagine the ups and downs and all that um, what is a leader uh, what do you think it takes to be successful and how to manage stress if you're a manager particularly middle managers who have to manage up and manage down you know uh, from a success perspective I think the first thing someone has to be is brutally honest with themselves and really look at the landscape of what they're dealing with and tell yourself clearly whether there is an issue or not. I think we play this game with ourselves in life and pretend that there's not a challenge or we try to buffer and do things to kind of overcome those challenges um, without dealing with them directly. And the second thing is 
you're never, I always believe you're never without a choice. So even when you look at the landscape and you think I have no choice here, I, I think you should think again. There, you always have a choice. Don't be a victim. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, I think one of the strongest phrases I've ever encountered that I've seen really play out in my life is be willing to embrace struggle. Because truly, I think struggle is your ticket to personal growth, which could get you to the next level. And if you embrace struggle, there's, a, there's some gold in there. There's a potential for a tremendous change. Well, because a lot of people, really, most people don't like the struggle and they try to avoid the struggle. And, and the thing is, like, if you're willing to do things and, uh, that other people aren't willing to do, uh, then you're going to get rewards that other people won't get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've probably heard the saying, you can have easy hard or you can have hard easy. So if you choose easy now, you're going to have hard later. If you choose hard now, you should have easier or easy later. Yeah. Well, you have um, uh, something going on with the, with the book. Um, I, I would love for you to explain that, that people can get a free download for the first three chapters. How do they go about doing that, Brian? Yeah, thanks for asking. You can go to brianrobinsonbook.com, B-R-I-A-N-R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N, book.com, and you can download the first three chapters of the Audible book and give it a listen. Yep. And then the other website is thesellingformula.com. And you like to get out and uh, speak, don't you? I mean, is that uh, the one-stop shop? I've, I went to the website to, to make contact with you and book you and also get your book. Yeah. Um, speaking, I actually love doing podcasts like this. Mm-hmm. this the, the opportunity to touch people in so many different industries is very obvious here. And so I love that almost more than doing a stage type of discussion. I wanted to bring it back around to Audrey's first question on the five stages and, and, and making a change in the process can really, as Brian Tracy would say, make your business take off like a rocket if you just make one change. So of these five stages that you've set forth, which is the stage you think that most sales teams really need to make some, uh, some process improvement in? Glad you asked. <laughs> I would say the second stage, which is the interview process. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, the discovery process. I mean, it's like yeah, without that or whatever, it's a hell of a lot harder to close and you'll never get to solving if you, if you don't uh, identify uh, issues, goals, et cetera. So I'm right there with you. Absolutely. Yeah, there's too many, too many times over the years where I've seen salespeople jump into the presentation mode instead of getting uh, focused on the conversation. So they, they do a presentation instead of having a conversation, they show up and throw up. I mean, that's all they care mm-hmm. about. And they just want to get to that when in fact you've got 80% of stones that have been unturned in the interview process because you didn't ask questions. Yeah, man. And 80% of sales manager, sales manager, salespeople, um, or even just managers in general, whatever, you know, they're, they're not doing that. So it's like if you can, again, go to places where people don't want to go and do the things that people, you know, hesitate to do or something like that, that's where you're going to find a reward. Mm-hmm. So. I agree. I like that you acknowledge also something that I, I find frequently I have to um, work on. You know, I have a mentor that said that, you know, active listening takes a lot of energy. And you say sometimes during discovery, people are just tuning out what the prospect is saying or for internal use, what their employee is saying because they're thinking about the next thing they're going to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, that mm-hmm. happens a lot, right? Oh, it's, 
it's terrible. And that plays into what you mentioned earlier, sales malpractice. One of my sayings that I have with salespeople that I've trained is until you uncover the need, you cannot proceed. You have to earn the right to move forward in that conversation. And it really ticks me off <laughs> when I'm training people and they don't earn the right to proceed because and they didn't ask the questions. I think the most powerful thing uh, when you're doing discovery or doing an interview either with a prospect or with an employee is the follow-up question. And to know what follow-up question you should ask, you need to be listening very intentionally to what they're saying. And usually also what they're saying, the best stuff comes at the end anyway. So typically, like when I show up, Audrey knows this, when I show up to do a podcast like this, I have one question written down and the rest of it is all listening to uh, what the guest is saying. And then I'm thinking, putting myself in the shoes of the listener and saying, okay, if I'm the listener, you know, what would they be curious about? Or usually it's what am I curious about? And it's, the, it's not so much the first question. The first question, unless it's a, a good amount of information, the follow-up questions, though, I think is where you get a lot of gold. Uh, how do you feel about that? I totally agree. So when you start out with a general set of questions and then move into additional questions, what you've done is basically earn permission to go deeper. Mm -hmm. And going deeper, mm -hmm. to your point, Lee, is critical to getting to the nub of the situation and uncovering that emotional trigger or triggers to earn the right to talk about your solution. Yeah, and if you're in such a hurry then to get to talk about your solution or your proposed uh, behavior change or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, if you're such a hurry to get there or something like that, you're going to miss, you know, really the keys to unlocking, uh, you know, getting them to either agree with you or come on board or, you know, or change that behavior or, or make the change that you want to see. And in sales, that means sign a contract. So true. So true. Well, the website again is um, the sellingformula.com, everyone. And your LinkedIn is Brian W. Robinson. And it's with an S-O-N, everybody. Brian, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure as well. It's great to have you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.